December 6, 2017. Welcome back to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the second of three podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably. Continue to write great comments, please. And if you're unsure of exactly you know what to type in the comment section, um, hit me on Twitter at Gary Paris CBS. I've got multiple drafts saved that I can send you. Um, that express uh, gratitude and admiration uh, for myself and, and some kind of kind words about Nor- Matt Norlander as well. So you can hit me again uh, at Gary Parish CBS on Twitter. Norlander, last time we spoke on this podcast, we speculated that Tuesday night could be uh, a lot of fun because there were some interesting uh, matchups, most notably uh, the Gonzaga-Villanova matchup in the opening game of the Jimmy V Classic at Madison Square Garden. I don't think we anticipated... Uh, Minnesota taking a loss at Nebraska. I don't think we anticipated uh, Notre Dame taking a loss at home to Ball State. Um, but uh, those things happen, and I guess we can uh, get to those if uh, later in the season they prove to be anything more than just random um, disappointing results for two uh, probable NCAA tournament teams. But let's focus on what was the biggest game, at least on paper, uh, even if it wasn't the most competitive game on paper, and that's that's Villanova and Gonzaga. It was inside the Garden, and Gonzaga controlled it. I mean, I mean, Villanova controlled it from from tip to buzzer. They led by double digits in the first half, never led by fewer than seven points uh, in the second half. And it appears that not only is Villanova headed for a fifth straight Big East regular season title. But maybe another number one seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe another Final Four. I wouldn't rule out national championship because they looked the part. Uh, obviously, they've got the guy on the sidelines that's capable of doing that, if only because he's done it before. Uh, they've got a, a point guard who is both experienced and talented, like really understands how to control a basketball game. So that's a great place to start. And then Mikel Bridges, who I think a lot of people predicted would have a breakout season last season, didn't really happen. But it's happening now. He was spectacular on Tuesday night. He's been spectacular all season. And now Villanova, uh, like I said, if you're putting together a short list of real championship contenders, they'd be, they better be on it somewhere. Yeah, Mikhail Bridges, who I remember pushing for pretty high on our top 101 players list last year, and then was a fine player but was not the player that I thought he would be. And then we had some hesitation with where we were going to put him this season. I can't remember where he went. If I'm blindly guessing, I think he was like 30 to 35 or so. Um, he could wind up proving us uh, proving us wrong or at least underestimating him this season. But he's having that breakout season that people were expecting, as you mentioned, a year ago. And he is making the jump seemingly to being really, really good college player when he's always been a long-term viable first-round NBA prospect uh, with the play he had last night. I think you're going to start to hear a little bit more buzz about Bridges' ability to go in the lottery. What I like about Villanova right now, is that it's so well-rounded, which is which it has been for the past half decade, basically. It's not just that they've got a, a superstar and then another really good B player and then just some bit players. No. Uh, Brunson's awesome. Bridges is fantastic. I think Omari Spellman is going to have plenty of moments this season. Phil Booth, he put up like... I think he put up 20 in the national championship game. And he didn't play last year because he had a knee injury. And now, even though Nova didn't have him last season... It's it winds up being a boon for them to have him on the floor because it makes him that that much better. 
Dante DiVincenzo is a fantastic sophomore. Eric Pascal, very good big man. They've got so many pieces all over the place here. They, they're starting to make the case that they can be as well-rounded and dangerous at just about every position as almost any team in college basketball. Last night versus Gonzaga was their most high-profile game of the season so far. I will note that at the time it didn't seem like a big game, but now Nova has two wins over ranked teams, two wins over teams in the Kempom Top 25 because they defeated Tennessee. That win keeps looking better by the week. We'll see if Tennessee can indeed keep that up. If so, I will have been way, way, way off, and a lot of people have been way off with the Volunteers. Didn't think they would be as good as they are now. And they also, Villanova, have defeated Northern Iowa, who could turn out to be a top-two team in the Missouri Valley if that ends up being the case. Uh, that kind of win on a neutral floor, which happened in the Bahamas, will just boost Villanova's case overall for a number one seed. I do think, Parrish, we are headed toward that eventuality because the Big East is going to rate as a top-three conference in the country. They're going to get enough wins here in that league, and their non-conference is going to be good enough that it's going to be hard. Now, every team is different, and trust me, I'm still ready to start using the phrase <laughs> no one team exists in a vacuum as we get to February as it pertains to seeding and selections and all that. But it's hard for me to envision a scenario where Villanova wins the Big East and doesn't get a number one seed. I think last night went a long way toward that. They look great. Bridges is awesome. I still am a huge, huge Jalen Brunson fan, and they got it rolling again. I'll tee it back to you here uh, because you wrote a really – Really good piece there uh, overnight at CBSSports.com that's that's laid out. Not just that Villanova is a really good program. We are aware of that. And But it's beyond that. It's that when it comes to starting a season, not every program is as good, if not dominant, as Villanova has proven to be over the last few years. The numbers are, are pretty remarkable. I, I remembered as I was watching that game last night, and I sort of had an idea about a Gonzaga column if Gonzaga won, and a, a rough idea for a Villanova column if Villanova won. And um, it sort of morphed into what it actually became. This isn't necessarily what I was thinking about writing, say, yesterday afternoon. But as I was watching last night's game, I remembered that I had filed a column last season, early in the season or heading into New Year's. Like Gonzaga, I mean, Villanova was, was still undefeated deep into the year. I think they might have finished non-conference schedule undefeated. And they had put together one of the best I, I think it was calendar year, yeah, yeah, 2016 calendar years. They put together like one of the best in the history of college basketball, which obviously just suggested that they were off to a good start at the beginning of last season. So I went back and looked at it because it felt like they always get off to a good start. And the reason it feels that way is because they, they actually do. They haven't, in any of the previous four seasons or this season, lost a game, any game, before December 7th. They never lose in the first month of the season. Like, literally never. They have combined to start the past four seasons plus this season. Like, how many games have they played before they took their first loss? Um, they, they're a combined 54-0 and to start, if you count this season, the past five seasons. And it's not just all cupcake wins like, I don't know, the wins Georgetown is putting together right now. Nine of those 54 wins are top 30 or wins against top 30 Ken Palm teams. Like they're real opponents, real wins. Last night being the most recent over Gonzaga. And so obviously Villanova, like the, where Jay's got that program now, they're good in the middle of the season. They're great at the end of the season. Like they're, I mean, it's a top shelf program. Um, but they are especially um, impressive early each season. And what makes that interesting is. It's not like they got this one wild recruiting class. 
and these guys have been freshmen who were awesome, and then they're sophomores playing together, and they're awesome, and then they're juniors who were playing together, and they're awesome. It's not like that. They have had a different top two scores on every one of these teams. In 2014, it was two dudes. 2015, two other dudes. 2016, two other dudes. 2017, two other dudes. 2018 season, two other dudes. It's never the same two. The roles are constantly changing, but the actual product on the floor, it doesn't change at all. It's at, at the very top of college basketball, and here we are again. It's it's pretty remarkable, and it's it's interesting to see how Jay Wright has recruited and coached his way into this scenario here because like two years from now, Dante DiVincenzo is going to be an awesome senior, potentially a preseason Big East player of the year type of player. If, in fact, someone else like Omari Spellman hasn't gone to the NBA, he could be competing on his own very own team for that kind of role. And there are really good players coming down the pipe with Villanova. This is harder to do than I think some fans might realize in that you want to get, obviously, like coaches, if they had, if it was the best case scenario, you get some one and dones, but then you get old, stay old, and you have these guys who just grow into these terrific kind of players but they also have like natural talent and ability where they can start as freshmen. Look at what Villanova's been able to do. You, you see Bridges got playing time as a freshman. Brunson, there have been plenty of other players down the road here um, in recent seasons. It's normally not like that, where you have talented guys that can literally step on the floor first game of the season as a freshman, but not have, I guess, a, a bigger ego than they really should in that, in that instance there. And yet they still have so much room to grow as college basketball players that they return as sophomores and juniors in some cases like josh hart as seniors and so what villanova has been able to do is not easily duplicated and i would argue there are only a handful of programs that could even claim the same because even like notre dame which is mike bray has sort of been attached to the get old stay old philosophy more than any other coach yeah occasionally notre dame has a freshman that steps on the floor and starts doing some stuff but really it's more like oh, okay this guy's now a, a sophomore and he's really breaking out and he's he's becoming an awesome player there Villanova is able to get talent, keep it, and for the program to allow itself to have a challenging but conquerable non-conference schedule, it only has enhanced its overall standing. And that's why if we really step back big picture, Parrish, and we look at exactly like this season plus the previous four seasons, Villanova's got to be a top three program in college basketball maybe top four at the worst, because they have a national championship. I understand that they've had some March issues and some really flameouts, but let's take the full sample here. Look what they've done out of conference. Look what they've done to win their league, and it's been a good league overall. There aren't really many programs with the consistency and widespread winning of Villanova. And if you went back to 2012, I wonder how many schools would have as many wins as Villanova and final four appearances as Villanova. I think Wichita state would be there. Kentucky would be there. Duke would be there. And that might be it. I could be missing a school that, you know, off the top of your head or our listener can provide with us via Twitter later, but uh, it's, you can't really overstate how impressive Villanova has become as a program. And specifically with this year, yeah, they're really good. They're heading toward a number one seed. How about 2015 season? Let's just go back to there. They finished 33-3 and three and, and fifth at Kempom. 2016 season, 35-5, and five, number one at Kempom. Uh, that's when they win the national championship. Last, uh, uh, last season, they finished 32-4, and four, second at Kempom. And right now, 
They're 9-0, and ranked number one at Ken Palm. I mean, that's four consecutive years of excellence. And honestly, um, if you just go by the, the measurements I just laid out, uh, that's the best program in America the past four years. <laughs> it's wild, man. You got a case. Especially because, like, if you want to throw any other – all right, so the, the national championship winners in that in that span are 2015 or 2014-15 is Duke, 16 is Nova, 17 is Carolina. Carolina made back-to-back championship games. Um, Carolina could be close. Duke had the flame out last season, so it can kind of be on the same footing as Nova. Yeah, you've got a strong case. Yeah, I think even if you go to Carolina with back-to-back championship years, we're starting our time frame with the 2015 season. And in that season, they were 26-12, and 12, finished 10th at Kempom. 2016, they finished 2nd at Kempom. Last year, um, they finished 3rd at Kempom, even though they won the national championship. I, at least by the Kempom ratings, Villanova has been a superior program to North Carolina over the past four seasons. But we are uh, a little bit splitting hairs. I, I recognize that. Either way, I guess we'll just leave it where, where, you, did, where you had it. Uh, you could make a strong case that over the past four seasons, no basketball program in America has consistently operated at a higher level uh, than Jay Wright's uh, Villanova Wildcats. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And if you use uh, the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase after you download that SeatGeek app. So go do that. And remember, um, they're going to get the best seats at the best prices, all fully guaranteed. You don't have to search multiple ticket sites anymore. Why? Because it's 2017, and SeatGeek will do that for you. Uh, that, they're going to search multiple ticket sites for you. They're going to find you the best seats at the best value, so you know you're never getting ripped off. Ripped off. You know that you are actually getting the best bang for your so-called buck. So don't download that app, SeatGeek app. Put it on your phone. And the next time you need tickets to anything, basketball game, football game, concert, whatever, uh, you use the SeatGeek app. And when you use that promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Meantime, last night, Norlander, uh, Arizona got its first, I think, truly big win of the season. Wasn't easy, uh, but it was a 67-64 victory over Texas A&M, which... I think you could reasonably call the favorite in the SEC. It's not who I'm picking to win the SEC, but um, I might just be wrong. Like, Texas A&M has looked really good this season. And so um, I know maybe four weeks ago we wouldn't have been too impressed by a 67-64 neutral court win over Texas A&M. And by neutral court, I should – in Phoenix, it wasn't necessarily neutral. It wasn't much neutral about it. Uh, but, but given the way Texas A&M has looked and given the way Arizona has looked – I mean, at tip-off, I think Texas A&M was actually favored over Arizona in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, but Sean Miller's team got the win. Did you see any of that? If so, what would you think? Yeah, I watched the whole game. And real quick on A&M, and then while Arizona, I think, is our focus here. But A&M got some good play out of Tyler Davis. Robert Williams, to me, didn't step up to the moment the way that he should have. He is uh, a player that is considered lottery pick good and was actually considered lottery pick good last season. We'll see what his sophomore season uh, brings to the table overall. But this was... Um, you know, I, we, we mostly focus on the college angle here, but it's undeniable to uh, to, you know, to recognize that Robert Williams versus DeAndre Ayton 
uh, was the premier matchup from an indiv- individual standpoint out in Phoenix on Tuesday night. And had he played better, I think um, A&M would have had a better chance. Still think that's a really good team. I have Florida winning the SEC, but between Florida, A&M, and Kentucky, we actually have, I think, our, our most interesting race at the top of that league in a long, long time. For Arizona, got better play, um, I think, overall from uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright, who I think hit a three, a pretty important one late. He only had a handful of points, but he, uh, his play overall was big because – Here's the thing. If you had told me Alonzo Trier was going to be as average as he was, I don't think Arizona would have won. I thought he was going to be the key to victory there. Only had seven points and was largely, I think, uh, a mediocre factor. DeAndre Ayton, again, was was important, but Dusan Ristich played well. Brandon Randolph had a big game. And then Dylan Smith had another big – he had a big game. He's a former player from UNC Asheville. So for Arizona to win the way that it did against uh, an opponent that could wind up as a two or a three seed or a four seed – come March, I was surprised the way that it happened. It showed a little more balance than I expected Arizona to have, but those are those are big, big gains. And yes, DeAndre Ayton continues to look like just a, a different level of player, the way that what he can do on offense. He's a really, really good passer. Very important for Arizona to get that win. And we'll wind up seeing... I, I still want to see some more because they just barely escaped UNLV. They really probably should have lost that game on the road on Saturday, but they get that win... They eke out the win at AM. You are right. AM was a one and a half point favorite going into that game. And now comes, uh, and we'll preview a little bit more of this on our next podcast, but on Saturday, Arizona plays Alabama, and they can get that win. They're going to be seven and three at that point. And perhaps uh, this trip to the Bahamas will have been this bizarre aberration. And we could get to a point come January where we look back and Arizona's got only four total losses, three of them having come uh, with that poor performance out in uh, at batter for Atlantis. But right now, good returns. And we also wait to see, you know, the word is that Raleigh Alkins is getting healthier. We'll see if he's healthy enough to play soon and, in fact, eligible. I um, I think where I'm at with Arizona is, yeah, the Bahamas is going to be the low point. Like, they're not that bad. And, and you know, the, the, the loss to um, – let me look at the resume here. The, the loss to, to SMU – you know, it's a six-point loss, but SMU's not terrible. Uh, that's a top 25 Ken Palm team right now. You know, Purdue's a top 10 Ken Palm team. The NC State loss is like, you can't you can't do that one. But the other two, like, aren't, you know, we, we talked about Arizona was just terrible, and in, in they were relative to expectations. But two of those losses are, are kind of reasonable. You know, they're... Uh, well, the bottom uh, fell out against Purdue. Yeah, so I mean, they, they got ran off the court, right? Yeah. Yeah, they got ran off the court. But, like, we've also this year seen West Virginia get run off the court by Texas A&M, and then West Virginia bounced back on Tuesday night, last night, and knock out Virginia at home. So every once in a while, a game might get away from you. I'd prefer it not happen. But, like, I'm not as worried about a Purdue loss or an SMU loss as much as that NC State loss. But, like, Notre Dame just lost last night to Ball State. Like, sometimes these things happen. Here's where I'm at. I don't think Arizona is nearly as bad as it showed or played in uh, the Bahamas. I... But I'm I'm skeptical that Arizona will be what some of us thought they would be in the preseason, which is like real number one seed material national championship contender. The talent's still there to do it. I just wonder if they're going to be able to to get to that point. Can they still be good, really good, high level? Sure. Are they going to – would you – if I made you right now – because in the preseason, if I'd asked you to do this, you'd have had Arizona no matter what. If I said you get five teams to win the national championship, list your five – We'd have both had Arizona on that a month ago. Would you have Arizona on that right now? 
All right, fun exercise. I love when you throw these curveballs at me. Um, all right, my five right now, Villanova, who we just talked about for sure. Duke for sure would be two. Um, Michigan State would be three. This is in, I guess, no real order. Uh, <laughs> I won't go Wichita State yet, even though they've looked really good. I want to see them with McDuffie back. So I'm going to I'm gonna resist Wichita State. So that's three. GP. Um, I will go Kansas four. Yeah, you know what? I will go Arizona five. I would still barely include them. I, I edging out Wichita State, edging out Florida. I think those would be the two that would be the closest right now to cracking my top five. I look forward to listeners throwing this list back in my face a month and a half from now when there's one or one or two other teams I didn't mention who would be clear, obvious candidates for consideration. I think four teams have to be like on everybody's list, right? Villanova, Kansas, Michigan State, Duke. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it'd be hard to leave one of those off of a list of five, but national championship contenders. And then we can argue about uh, the fifth team, whether that's Wichita State, which I think is reasonable. Kentucky, based on talent, is reasonable. Um, North Carolina has played better than I looked better than I thought it would be this season. I don't think it's crazy to, to throw them back on that list. Um, there's a handful of teams that you consider for the fifth spot. But that, those top four slots, and maybe not even the top four, but on your list of five, you got to have Duke, Villanova, Kansas, uh, Michigan State. They were all supposed to be championship contenders, and to date they've all looked like uh, national championship contenders. You published a story on Tuesday afternoon where you talked to Roy Williams, uh, Tom Izzo, and Mark Few about a number of things, uh, but mostly just under the umbrella of the state of college basketball. What did you learn while – while reporting that story. Yeah, well, I talked to him out in Portland, and uh, Mark Few and Tom Izzo are on this uh, National Association of Basketball Coaches committee that is going to essentially be uh, a liaison to Mark Emmert's commission on college athletics. And just as a really quick aside, we are recording this podcast while Emmert is getting absolutely slaughtered, rightfully so, for some of his ridiculous comments about the one-and-done in college basketball eligibility. We've, we've hit on those so often over the over the years, I don't even think it's worth getting into here. Uh, sometimes Mark Emmert speaks, and you're like, "What the hell is this guy talking about here? Like, how is this guy in charge of running the NCAA?" With that as backdrop, it's why I don't have. Well, let, let me let me say this real quick. With Emmert, like you and I both know him, we've been around him. He's a smart guy. He's not dumb. No, he's not like a dumb guy. He's a smart guy. Uh, what I actually think happens to him is the same thing that happened to. Oh, his name escapes me. Um, but he used to be basically the spokesperson for the BCS, Bill Hancock. Bill Hancock, thank you. Um, and I apologies to Bill if you're listening. I uh, I should never forget your last name. Shout out to Bill Hancock if he's listening. Shout out to Bill Hancock. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Um, it reminds me a little bit of like you sit down because I had done some television stuff with Bill Hancock before, and you'd sit down with him, like you'd spend time with, like real time with him, like we got our makeup done next to each other once. <laughs> so you sit, you like sit there and you talk to him, and he's like a perfectly reasonable guy. But his job was to get up there and defend the BCS. It's a little bit like Sarah Huckabee, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' job. Like, good luck. Like, when that's your job, you got to stand up in front of the world and rationalize things that are irrational. You're going to come off saying nonsensical things. Bill Hancock used to do it. Sarah Huckabee does it literally every day. And um, I think Mark Emmert, like he's the president of an organization that is flawed to its core. 
rooted in amateurism and basically has its hands tied from ever doing anything uh, that actually changes things in a, in a meaningful way. So you have to tie yourself to arguments that make no sense to the majority of the rest of the country. And so every time Mark Emmett speaks on these big issues facing college athletics, he just gets destroyed because what he says makes no sense. But the reason what he says makes no sense is because he's trying to argue in favor oftentimes of things that just do not make any sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, because he's making the like one of the quotes he's getting killed for was that he was saying, you know, if you're going to college as uh, as someone who's primarily and only looking to to use it to take the next step to become a pro basketball player or a pro athlete, um, then you better off you're better off not even considering college in the first place. Which honestly, I don't have the time or desire to get into why that's a ridiculous statement. I have uh, the time and desire. But like don't, most I, most people go to college to try to become a professional at something else. Most people don't go to college because they can't wait to take calculus. Because they they dreamed about taking Spanish three, you go to college because it puts you in a better position to be a professional in whatever career you you um, desire to be a part of. Like they, like the, the same reasons a basketball player might go to college is the is the same reason I went to college. I wanted to be a sports writer. That's what I wanted to be when I was in high school. Well, the only at that time, um, like recognized way. To get where I wanted to get was to to go to college and get a degree so that I could be hired at a ma- at a major metropolitan daily newspaper. Well, I know that the only option for basketball players to get to the NBA isn't to go to college, but it is it's it's the most well traveled path. And so if if DeAndre Ayton's in college right now only because he feels like that's his best path to get to the NBA. Well, it's no different than the reason I went to college. And so for Emmert to act like it is, is ridiculous. Yeah, and he was, com- for full context, he was commenting on the LeVar Ball, LeAngelo Ball situation, uh, taking him out of school and all that, and saying, well, then why were you in college? Like, he, his intentions, I understand where he was going, but broadly speaking, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. Yes. So yeah. the backdrop is that Emmert's got this commission to fix college basketball. We talked about that on this podcast. It's got... David Robinson and Mike Montgomery and Condoleezza Rice heads up that committee and all that stuff. Well, the NABC has a coaches committee that's going to act as the liaison because the reality of the situation is most people on Emmert's commission are not and have not been involved with college basketball on a day-to-day basis. They really don't understand um, the inner workings of the sport and what would be, while they can present potential solutions, those solutions could be inherently flawed uh, and so this commission is going to be there to be a, a, a check and balance to say, hey, listen, you know, this is why this would not work. Or, hey, that's a really good idea. In fact, we wouldn't we didn't even think of that. Here's why we think most of it works. But here's why it might not. So few and Izzo are on that committee. Roy Williams is not. And obviously the reason he is not is because of all of his run ins with the NCAA. Uh, listen, he agreed to sit down for the interview. He was there. And I will say that a lot of coaches, if not almost all coaches from a recruiting ethical standpoint Roy Williams in the coaching business has a very strong reputation opposing coaches do not believe that Roy Williams cheats on the recruiting trail okay that's just their their position their stance is part of why I interviewed him obviously some of his quotes in the story have gotten a lot of attention and a lot of people are telling Roy about it I think he understood that going in he brought up his own run-ins I didn't realize the number was this, this high seven times the NCAA has investigated Roy Williams <laughs> all seven times he has been cleared um, he was self-aware in regard to this. Anyway, the big point is 
college basketball has a reputation issue. I wanted to talk with these guys to see what it can do to better itself and what can be done from, from the coach's standpoint. I won't recap the entire piece. If you haven't read it yet, I do think it's worth it. I understand that there's been some criticism over what these coaches have said because the one thing that is not addressed in the piece, because honestly I didn't want to make it a 6,000-word piece, is the element of paying the players. Um, this was more about coaches enacting more self-policing but also being willing to speak up about what's problematic with the game and not just being cheerleaders when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I did not get a one-on-one with Mike Krzyzewski. I did ask Krzyzewski at a press conference what could be done, and it was interesting to see Krzyzewski's comments go in direct opposite of what Izzo and Williams and Few were saying. Because, you know, Krzyzewski basically said, you know, I think that FBI stuff, it's all behind us now, and you guys are writing good things about the game. Well, we can and should have both here. We should be critical of college basketball, and we can say that it's not all terrible, and what's gone on with the FBI is not what's, what it's all about. So... That's broadly what the uh, the piece is about. Um, but the, the coming months are going to be the deciding factor here. Izzo's like, are we going to get in this room as coaches behind closed doors and BS each other? Are we actually going to try and make our sport better, cleaner, as best as we can? And those conversations, by the way, could very well involve on some level um, player compensation. I have doubts that it will get there because, honestly, that's not part of the commission that Emmert's dealing with. But, uh, but few and Izzo specifically were – very willing to speak out and be critical of, of what's wrong with the sport while also acknowledging few specifically, like it's on the media too. Like you guys, if you want to, you know, help bring the sport, uh, to, uh, to a better place, you know, if you hear that guys are cheating, you know, don't just keep it amongst yourself as a scuttlebutt, you know, investigate those things and try and confirm those things. And don't just hide behind. It would be liable if I only get one source telling me and few has some points there. It's, it's more intricate than he's making, but I certainly uh, hear what he's saying, and I think that there's there, his criticism is well-founded, and uh, and we'd be wise to listen to that part of it as well. I thought that was an interesting point, and uh, I've had these conversations with Mark. Um, you know, He's a really thoughtful guy, smart guy, and someone who does care. Like You hear these coaches all the time talk about how much they care about the sport and you know uh, how much the sport means, and we got to take care of the sport, and we got to grow the sport and protect the sport. I don't know how many of them actually mean it, but when Mark says it, um, I believe him. When Tom Izzo says it, I believe him. I think I've told this story before, but, like, I got a call from Tom this past summer where all he wanted to do was just, like, he was just so mad about all these different things going on in college basketball. Transfers, one and done. This was even pre-FBI investigation. And he just wanted to vent because he, like, genuinely cares. Um, and he was willing to, like, he had ideas that, I would point out, like, you know, you realize this would run counter to the success of your program. Like, this would this would hurt you more than it would hurt some others. Like, this idea you have. And he, like, was like, I don't care. I'm willing to, I'm willing to sacrifice some of the advantages I might have as the head coach at Michigan State um, to, get, to get things back uh, to, or get things to a place where, um, I think it's better for the for the game of college basketball. I think he genuinely cares. Um, to Mark's point about the media, I, I think you could argue it this way. The media plays such a huge role in our country, especially, um, in bringing about change. You know, the, the media has, has been the root of um, a president of the United States having to resign. Could end up being the cause of another president of the United States having to resign. Um, this entire... 
um, Me Too movement that has led to the downfall of um, incredibly powerful and successful men, um, you know, was was started by the media. You know, the, a, a story um, about Harvey Weinstein, and then it just sort of uh, snowballed into, I mean, a, a different old pervert gets brought down basically every other day now, and we've watched careers be crumbled, and 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 and, and for good reason. And I think our country has changed. Like things that men, for whatever reason, used to think they could either do because it was okay or they could do. And even if it weren't okay, they could get away with it. Well, like everybody knows the rules have changed now. And I think it's going to cut out a lot of the behavior, not only in Hollywood, but, um, you know, in every workplace in America. And so... That was started by the media. So the media in this country has played a big role in bringing about change. And so when we're talking about how to change or fix college basketball, I think it's perfectly reasonable for Mark Few to point out, hey, maybe the media can play a role in this as well. You know, if the NCAA either doesn't have the manpower or can't properly investigate um, rules violations that we know are happening all over this country, then maybe it's CBS Sports job to, to try to do it. Yahoo Sports job to try to do it. Sports Illustrated's job to try to do it. ESPN's job to try to do it. Fair. Um, I guess I would counter with this. There's hardly any college basketball writers left. I mean, like, you know, like we've got friends that don't have jobs anymore and or don't and or certainly don't have the jobs that they had. And um, and plus our jobs have changed so much. Just like the world's changed, our jobs have changed. I was thinking about this when I read your story. Um, because I'm speaking as somebody who broke one of the biggest NCAA scandals in the history of college athletics. You know, I, just a few weeks ago, I did the Georgia Tech story. That was a lot of thorough uh, reporting um, that, at the very least, tied NCAA rules violations to a close friend of an ACC head coach. Um, so, like, I'm somebody who has a background in this kind of stuff. And I... When I was reading your story and thinking through all this, when I got hired, CBSSports.com, July 2006, do you know what my job was? Here's, my, here's what my job was, to write two or three columns a week and, like, handle any sort of news that might pop up. So I'd write a Monday column. I'd write a Wednesday column or may or may not write a Friday column. That was my job. That was it, my whole job. Do you know what my job is now? I rank basketball teams every morning. <laughs> I pr I provide quote expert picks every morning. Now the picks are terrible, but I provide them <laughs> every morning. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Like when you guys do the picks, by the way, on that sports line page, it updates it to make it look good no matter what. So like if you're like nine and one in your last ten picks, it'll say you're nine and one in your last ten picks. But if you're if you lose four straight and then win two straight, it'll say two and zero oh in his last two picks. It won't say. Two right. and four. So mine, mine just out there for everybody. Mine's like, here's Parrish's expert picks. His season record is 40 and 65. <laughs> just terrible. So, but anyway, uh, that's something I do. I do three podcasts a week. Then I take those files, send them to you. Then I have to write a post for those three podcasts per week. I um, also write columns. I also do videos. Either you or I are doing videos basically every day. Um... I mean, the, the jobs – oh, and I'm on TV twice a week from January through April. That means I'm flying every Monday and Thursday. 
I don't say any of this to complain. Like my job has changed drastically since um, I was hired in 2006. So has my salary. Like I'm incredibly lucky, fortunate, grateful to have the jobs that I have and to do what it is I do. It, it, it's a way for me to provide things for my children that I never knew if I would be able to provide for them. Um, I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying, I'm just merely pointing out the hours get away from you pretty quickly. Like the days go fly by. And when you, when there's never a day when you can wake up, and this is true in my case, and I think it's basically true in yours. There's never a day where I wake up and I don't have work to do. Never, not one day, seven days a week. There's never a day where I don't have work to do. Um, it becomes very difficult to just go say, you know what, I'm going to go investigate this program because I heard some her stuff. Because A, the investigations take like real time, um, real focus, and they often lead nowhere. You usually can't get where you're trying to get. get. Like I, I can't tell you, for every big quote investigative story I've ever written in my life, there's 10 that I started down a path and then just hit a wall. Like just went, no, it just like, well, Dick can't get there, didn't get there, or it's not there. And so uh, while I, I think Mark makes a good point, I think the pressures on uh, modern day sports journalists, um, especially college basketball writers, college football writers, like it, it just makes it harder than it, it might seem from the outside to actually dive into some big investigation into some program or some, um, you know, AAU coach or some uh, financial advisor. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying with the demands on people's time on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, it, it, it's, it's more difficult than it used to be, if that makes sense. It is. Um, the one other element to the story that I think is worth bringing up on the podcast, and I do encourage people to, to go and read it, um, is that uh, Roy Williams called for a reduction of the NCAA rulebook by 90%. That's something I think a lot of people would agree I, with. I agree with him 100%. Without a doubt. Um, that's much easier said than done, but I do believe ultimately it can be done. He also called for permanent banishment uh, by anyone who is knowingly proven to have broken the uh, major rules, uh, never to be able to work again in uh, Division One basketball. Mark Few mostly agreed with that. Um, he said more along the lines of the entire staff is banned at least five years. School gets multiple NCAA tournament banishments. They, uh, they want extremely harsh penalties beyond what the Committee on Infractions does right now. Um, cause if you're not giving someone the way few was putting it, uh, with me was if you're not making something so devastating from a punishment standpoint, you're not going to really give the people that are inclined to cheat and are motivated to cheat for whatever reasons they may be, uh, much hesitation to consider not doing it. But if they know if they get caught, um, and they'll never coach again, or they're gone from the, from the sport for 10 years or something like that, um, it's, it's going to reduce i think the willingness and uh how often that that cheating happens um i think a lot of coaches would be in favor of that but again those are the kind of legislation changes that will take years to go into effect i think uh i think it would be better for college basketball if that happened but uh but we'll see but yeah the, the piece is up at cbsports.com and um you know the the coaches didn't have to sit down and talk to me about this I, they did it because they wanted to get it out there because, honestly, if I didn't write about it, how many people would have even known that this NABC committee was even happening? Um, they want more awareness of what's of what's going on behind the scenes in the coming months as the coaches try and 
make college basketball a cleaner game. And they are, they are aware that from a PR standpoint, like a lot of fans just think like, oh, yeah, all these dudes are crooked. They're all cheating. Well, that's not actually the case. But in order to get to a place where the sport has better standing overall, they realize that major steps need to be taken. If you haven't read the piece yet, go find it at cbssports.com. You can also find it on Matt Norlander's Twitter feed. That's at Matt Norlander. You can find it on my Twitter feed. That's at Gary Parish CBS. And remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon. Till then, take care.